welcome to the newest episode of Deandra and the Co-Host. I got so excited saying hello that I almost forgot the title of this podcast slash YouTube series. Yay, it's going well. I think, I think it's going well. At least that's what I tell myself before I go to bed at night. But um, this episode is actually... I, I had the opportunity to interview Candice Hoyes, who is an amazing artist. She went to Columbia University. She's fiercely intelligent and super calm. And she's the type of calm that is so, like, it's her very nature to be thoughtful and peaceful. And I feel like that fascinates me because I've always been thoughtful, but calm and peaceful, that's just something that I've had to develop through the years. You know, you, you get hit a billion times and after a while you tell yourself, I can't keep reacting negatively to the same things. You know, issues are always going to be there. I can't have the the anger, the sadness, the depression, but it's hard. It's hard to get rid of your sadness or your hopelessness because there will always be a problem. And there's just this feeling of, I have to have, the only way I can have peace, the only way I can have joy is if problems are gone. And that's just not going to happen, not on this earth. And 2020 definitely showed us that, you know, we're all still going on social media, acting like we're okay, making pandemic jokes, you know, how'd you spend your stimmy? But the truth is a lot of people have suffered financially, um, in terms of loss, uh, in every way, family, money, jobs, dreams. It's been a year of forced rebirth for a lot of people, especially when analyzing our current justice system. And for many this year was a solidification of something that we knew. There's no justice, at least not if you are a certain color, a certain race, a certain ethnicity, or of a certain class. Let's be honest. Let's be real. And Candace Hoyes is real, but she's real calm. Like I just, it's rare you see somebody who is so who is so open and so thoughtful and so cool in the chillest way. I really liked her. And I think you'll like our interview. We we talk about social justice because that's who she is. We talk about Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes, uh, how Black artistry has influenced us both, uh, Roberta Flack, Donny Hathaway. I mean, you name it. We name drop. And the discussion of how music needs to be political, needs to be revolutionary, needs to be pushing buttons, because who else is going to push if not the artist? Throughout history, the artist has always been the one to spark reflection in humanity and thus spark revolution. So let's watch, let's listen to Candace Hoyes and how she is sparking her own revolution with her music. Enjoy this new episode of Deandra and the co-host featuring Candace Hoyes. I'm Deandra Reviews, and I hope you enjoy. And go over to deandrareviewsatall.com, where I have plenty more episodes, plenty more reviews on your favorite, newest movies, music, uh, 
albums, theater, when we have that again, books, all of it, you name it, television, go, 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 go now. Check it out. Hi, I'm Candace Hoyes, and I'm a singer, and my newest single is called Waiting for the World, Tired, and it's a song uh, about accountability, and it came out of everything that I've been feeling um, in this time of great confinement. It has also been a time of creative expansion and growth for me, and I wanted to release this song to talk about what's going on in the world and what's going on in my, in my heart and what I hope for the world when we're all able to reenter, um, and hopefully build it to be a more just and equitable world to live in. Uh, I hope so. I, I've been telling people we can't go back to what we were. I mean, it That's crumbled right. so horribly because it wasn't working. Right. And I think that um, the song in particular is inspired by the Harlem Renaissance writer Langston Hughes, uh, who is uh, wrote, you know, known for for poetry, for novels, his autobiographies. And to me, I looked to him. He was the first black writer to support himself entirely as an artist writing. And that's one of my life goals and one of the dreams that I'm, you know, working towards and I'm making progress on. But I, he wrote this poem called Tired in 1930. And the poem goes, I am so tired, aren't you, of waiting for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. And I just was thinking a lot about that because some of what we're experiencing is new and has displaced us as far as the pandemic. And in another sense, it's really just brought to the surface. It's cut into our social order like a knife to reveal social structures and inequalities that were already broken and already rotting, um, you know, environmental inequality, racial injustice, gender discrimination, housing inequality, so many people displaced from their homes, um, you know, educational inequality, so many students are not able to, um, you know, have a a, a fulsome school experience because they don't have the resources to do online school or to go to school in a community that is respecting social distancing and like practicing communal communal love and and caring really and so you know our our frontline workers and our essential workers are at risk and even still like you know, just the number of women who have been pushed out of the workforce, which obviously directly impacts my life. And um, I just think that they're in the midst of the, you know, sense of reaction to all of this. There's a contemplation that needs to happen because these are old problems. This is a poem from a hundred years ago. 
you know, can we use the experiences that we're gaining now to look at old problems in a new way and create some solutions that are just and equitable for everyone, including and, and more than including, but just reconstructing the way that, that we do things. Yeah. I mean, I do find it alarming how history repeats itself. And I think artists capture history and reflect it. And I think there's something beautiful about that, but scary, like with Langston Hughes or like when I listen to Tupac and I'm like this, you know, he was alive, what, 20 something years ago. And it's the same. So it does make you wonder what's going on here. There should be difference. And yet there is not. And it, I have to, I'm curious to see because, you know, uh, I was raised in a, my grandmother would always say, I, I do believe that there's more good than bad. And I, I wonder, like, with you being so social justice oriented, do you feel there's more good than bad? And, and what's holding it back? I do. And I also feel like we're, we're, we're really meeting challenges. But when you look at the, the runoff in Georgia and you look at how um, the predominantly woman driven, but the grassroots efforts of those organizers to get out the vote, and to just include the people who are being historically excluded from, you know, their rights, their, their, their civic rights to vote and have their voice be heard. Um, that is the show that, you know, that's a, a demonstration that things are changing. Things can change. Um, when you look at how many people under, you know, voting age were out in the streets protesting and like, still mobilizing the vote so that we could have the administration in office that we have and, you know, bring in some really serious uh, leadership into, into office. It's all because of like, I mean, to me, the difference was made by regular people who really just did take action in their own community, like in their own sphere. And I think, that's where the changes can be really seen. And I think it's easy to look at systems and think that because there's so much blowback and we're, you know, so oriented around capital structures that there's not change, but I, I believe that there is change. I think that each of us, I don't think it's like optimistic to say um, that each of us has the potential to change something. That's yeah. also why I wanted the song, even though it has this inspiration of a vintage poem, to sound very um, Afrofuturistic, very soulful, very much like the joyful Black spaces that made me the woman that I am, like cookouts and family gatherings cleaning the house with my parents and my sister on a Saturday morning and like the type of music that we would play on long drives, basement parties, all of that joyful music, uh, soul music that like, you know, Stevie Wonder and Donny Hathaway and Roberta Flack and just music that embraced the struggle and also embraced the joy and the hope in it. Music is a form of protest. I think in, in 
inherently being a reflection of society and history, it's going to piss people off. <laughs> so there yeah. is that aspect of rebellion and, and yeah, and protests. And I would say that, I don't know, like, I think that the desperation of people, I feel it too, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm Latina and I feel it in my own community and its own struggles of human rights and, and equality. Yes. I'm from Puerto Rico specifically, which has a tragic history. So I, I definitely feel the urgency and desperation, but I do have to say, I, I do have hope because in the same way, I think good people and those that are on the side of justice and equality, I think in the same way that we are frustrated that we haven't gotten our plan, I think evil is as well. I think hate yes. is frustrated and, and it feels stopped. So mm -hmm. I, I think the hope is that one day good can tip the scale officially. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I feel it, we, it's ironic that we both have the same feeling of like, get the hell out of my way. I noticed some of the artists you mentioned, Donnie Hathaway, Roberta Flack, there is a, a sensation of, I think you said resistance and resilience yes. in their music. Yes. They're, they're perfect yes. examples of that, I would say. Yes. And I think also, um, I think my music is really centered. Uh, why it's often considered jazz in part is that it's very centered on a band. And so I, a band being having a band sound in your music is about, you know, human beings improvising, being themselves, expressing themselves inside of a form and being together, listening to each other, having it be a dialogue um, or rather a conversation among everybody on the stage and, and everyone in the room who can feel it. I mean, I'll easily go into a show and, and feel the room and change the set list around based on the, energy that I'm feeling from the crowd. And I think that that's a part of that music as well. There's a sense that there was a community and, and there still is. 100%, 100%. Yeah, music is kind of like a, a warm little bright blanket in this cold world, for sure. Yes, <laughs> yes. It definitely feels like that. And I and like every artist, I think that we feel that warmth since childhood and then we manifest it. Like we, it's like we want to become a part of that warmth because it touched yes. us so particularly. Absolutely. And everyone has moments in their life when a song, um, you know, they're at a crossroads and it's like some song reminds them of that time when they overcame something or when they broke and they fell down and had to pick themselves back up or when they fell in love or, you know, just even just the sensory memory of like, this is what the air smelled like, or, um, you know, it, all those types of things are often associated with like some song that was playing. And so that's kind of also why I always, ever since I started recording, which wasn't that long ago, like I kind of fell in love with it because I realized that I was going to be interwoven into so many people's lives in a really special way. And I like that idea. I like yeah. that closeness. I I do hate when a really good song is tied to something tragic, like an mm. ex or a moment when you broke <laughs> your leg. Like I hate that. I hate when it's that so happens. annoying. <laughs> yeah, because like you're like, oh my god, I love this Bruno Mars song, and you're like, that's when I wrecked my car. Damn that <laughs> jerk! That jerk! He still owes me fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then and you're like, 
he took the 50 when Beyonce was playing and you're like, damn him. I can't hear exactly. I want my sweatshirt back. Exactly. Yeah, it is, but it is mem- like it is crazy the the memory, and I think you bring you bring a perfectly good point. Like it, it's a life is a sensory experience, and it's crazy yes. to see like the certain colors, the certain smells that just immediately ignite good and bad memories. Exactly, and I think like that's part of why I love being a musician is that I'm very intrigued by that and. I wouldn't necessarily want to, you know, it's like a connectivity that I want to keep uh, alive at this time. And I think that the more I know about how people are feeling and doing, the more I wanted to share something. And I, the cool thing, actually, Dandra, is um, I found with the first single I put out in August, Zora's Moon, um, which is a very, I feel like it's very steeped in black girlhood experience and it samples the voice of one of my favorite writers Zora Neale Hurston uh from 1946 and she was talking about being a little girl uh and playing with her cousins at night in the grass running in the grass and playing under the moon in Eatonville Florida and under this blanket of stars thinking that the moon was following her. And she said, it was only when my, in the radio interview, she says, it was only when my cousins disillusioned me and told me the moon follows everyone that I, that I, you know, I was, I felt disillusioned and, and I thought I was just very special and I had it sewn up for the moon to follow me wherever I go. And I thought, damn, that confidence is what makes a great artist. That confidence is what makes a great woman. That confidence is what makes a a radical woman of color, a radical black woman, a, a trailblazer. And it's something that we have in us before we know what kind how our life is gonna unfold. And that's not to say her life was very had many obstacles that she, you know, got around to be this amazing writer that I came to love. But I love that long before all those wins, she had this this belief in her and i think uh i think that that's the type of message that is a human message but i got proof of it um because the song does the best after a couple months the song is doing really well in japan and i was like blown away because i've never been to japan to perform i've never played there yeah. But because of Spotify and Apple Music, and so it really does matter if people follow me on Spotify and Apple Music, because that's how my song ended up being so popular in Japan with jazz listeners in Japan. Like, And I was just blown away. And I was like, you know, as as much as people talk about how annoying Zooms are, like, this is a very fascinating little turn that I didn't expect my life to take. Yeah. Um, and so then I got written up by this Japanese, one of the big Japanese newspapers in the country, like a USA Today, but in Japan. And um, I was like totally delighted. And so I hope that folks can stay, even though I know everyone listening is having a hard time and my heart is with you. And I, I trust me, I'm, I have all the things, the insomnia, the anxiety, the sadness, the frustration the 
total overwhelm, make sure that you're loving on yourself and try to just keep a little bit of vulnerability. And if you can, a lot of vulnerability and be open to the lessons that you could learn for yourself. Uh, You know, I don't want to say for everyone like listening that this is, that there are upsides to this time because there are people who lost folks that they love, people who don't feel well. There are a lot of, a lot of issues that you can't make a blanket judgment, but I can say that you are discovering things about yourself that will be to your strength and your betterment. You are discovering things because we're all surviving this. And so I think that's like my main reason. That's my purpose for, for putting out this music right now. I think that's a beautiful purpose. And it's funny, like when I, when I heard your, um, Zora Neale Hurston, right? Did I say that yes. right? Yes, yes, yeah. you did. Yeah, because she wrote their, their Eyes Are Watching God, right? Yes, she did. Yeah, I love and, that and book. the song is, I called the song Zora's Moon. Yeah. Yes, I love that book too. I love that I book love too. I love that book. I love it. And I, 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 it's funny, when you said that story, I yes. I love that you saw it as a tale of confidence because I saw it as a tale of dreaming. I think that yes. is so key to an artist, their imagination. And I think the, the trial of an artist as a person and where this is where the mental health battles might begin for them is that because we are such dreamers, there is this feeling of my dreams have to come true, but perhaps the most important thing to do in life, to keep living and keep going is to keep dreaming. Not necessarily make the dreams come true, but make sure the dreaming always happens. I agree. And I think that this time is a very perfect example. You know, I would have, I was playing festivals in February. I got great reviews. I was planning the tour and then those things all shifted and went away. Um, and I've replaced those dreams with other ones. Um, and I'm watching new ones be fulfilled. Like I was saying about Sora's moon and all the um, fascinating new corners of the world that it's going to, uh, before I can get on a plane to get there, it's winged its way somewhere else. And those are new dreams that I never had at the time per se, you know, uh, I think that dreams get replaced by new dreams and people walk into your life or uh, you, you move to a new place or you, you know, often lose something. We all lose something and someone sometimes, and there becomes a space that gets, you know, filled with a new dream. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it's survival. I think it's, it's the key to actually living. And it's hard. It's hard to learn that lesson. I think that especially if you've had a hard life, and I, I think with Azor is a perfect example. I mean, being in the 1940s, a black woman, I, I, dreaming to dream was an exercise, a mental exercise. So I think that, you know, the hardships of our life can cut that feeling of dreaming. And that's part of oppression as well. Make sure a person doesn't see themselves nor dream for themselves. But yes. you just, you have to, you just, it's the key to joy, I think. 
Yes. And I also think that seeing those things manifest in your life often, especially for women of color, uh, black and brown women, and for many people who have been marginalized from spheres of power, uh, realizing and manifesting those dreams requires disrupting the systems that are in place. Uh, as I, as we watched her do, I mean, even with that, that book, that book is a radical book. It's a different kind of expression of woman's sexuality, of her evolution. It's a commentary on race and gender politics and roles. And it's also just the form of the book is its own thing that changed literature. And that's, I think that can be found in my music. She's one of the people, one of many people. I get my inspiration, like I told you, from my childhood. In uh, all of that, she was really moving through spaces and places that she was not, uh, that a Black woman hadn't been before. She was the first Black woman to graduate from Barnard and many, many firsts. Um, and in, in my own sphere, I'm the first musician in my family. Um, I'm pretty much the only Black woman from Harvard College that I know who's a professional musician. There's like a loneliness to that, but there's also a great power because you know that you're making a path wider for the next person coming yeah. after you. You're going to make me give you recommendations. I'm like, have you, I'm, do you read poetry? Like my favorite poet is Jose Martí. I love like philosophers. Sure. Uh, have you ever read, um, like in terms of great novels about black womanhood, there is um, White Sargasso Sea, which I love. Yes. Have you read read that one? Yes. I love that. I love that. I took it. um, I got to read it as uh, I studied about Latin America and the Caribbean. And I got to read it with my um, professor who focused on Caribbean history and the way she broke it down was so, so beautifully. I think that that I was, I was just talking about that the other day that there is like a difference when you read a book. Uh, and are able to discuss it in a room of other women of color, uh, black and brown women who share certain experiences. It's so different. I grew up always in a predominantly white environment. And it wasn't until I got to college that I was in, uh, I, I took a Caribbean societies class. I took, uh, I was in a black women's history class. And those are spaces that were just so much more diverse. And it, made the conversation so different and I felt different in the I guess you know some people call it like a sister circle and it's just a sense that you're sharing your own experience and it's highly individual but you're also mirroring shared experiences and it's happening all at the same time and I find that I also create a lot of music that way like a lot of my best girlfriends are painters or writers um, educators other musicians, uh, and we all inspire each other, filmmakers, photographers. 100%. I think that, you know, in terms of those spaces, there is almost a a freedom to speak and kind of discover what you want to say and how much you want to say. Whereas like when I study, there were many times like when I studied uh, um, about social justice that I was like, the only Latina or the only woman in the room. And there was this feeling of who, when can I speak? How can I speak? What kind of catering 
to the men or say the white people in the room and not fully saying my truth. Because right. you, are, you have a double consciousness and you don't want to, I do feel that at times when you try to bring up issues, there is this, I, I call it like the exception argument where somebody says, I don't know who, who, what white person or what man you've met, but I'm exactly. not like that. Exactly. And, and the whole argument, like the, the rest of the, the conversation becomes them explaining how they're an exception versus you, your story. Yes. And the structural, you know, record behind the fact that that's just not true. <laughs> it's like <laughs> downplayed to it becomes this thing like, well, you're, you're bearing witness to something personal. So I'm going to say that I, not to mention like that, that's a totally subjective, you're how how critical are you of your own self? How long have you ever reflected on what you're saying that you don't do? Like how long, how many minutes have you spent thinking about this perhaps? But, but it's you know? also like a low key privilege thing because the, totally. there, there is this kind of entitlement to say that I'm the exception. And then you cut somebody who's venting about right. the reality and you right. say, no, 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 no. This is my reality to your reality. And yes, like, oh. you you subvert yours to what I'm saying because this is how I feel about myself. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think that what's interesting is that I I had another conversation, um, and we were talking about um, mu how musicians, in some way, especially for people of color, it's like we become kind of a, a, a space of like nerdy friends. Like, there's something <laughs> about music that opens you up to go yes. beyond all that yes yes it's transcendent it's yeah. spiritual mm -hmm. you finally get much to so. be the geek you always wanted to be in some ways yes and i think you know you were talking about um double consciousness and the sense of of a gaze and a sense of of people uh measuring and sort of competing for humanity you know, well, yours is not yours. Yours falls under mine because I wouldn't do something like that, and so it negates what you're saying. And I think that there's a there's a a, a um, eternal humanity in music, irrepressible humanity that human experience that can't be, you know, broken down in that way, and. Uh, I, and I agree, it definitely like gives you the power to say, I, I love myself how I am. And I feel like how I feel when I listen to this or how, when I play this is undeniable. And yeah. it's me. And it's like the closest way, closest thing to meeting myself is, is often, I think, through music and playing. I think eternal humanity is such a beautiful phrase because I, I think it made me think that in some ways what makes it humane is that you're not trying to, I think part of exceptionalism is that you really want to just comfort yourself and say, you're a good guy, despite it all. And what music does is it makes everything other centered. It's yes. all about comforting the other and yes. connecting with the other. And I think that is where humanity is born. When you leave yourself, to be yes. with someone else. Yeah, that's right. It's it is it is uh an open heart. It is and it is open arms, you know. Good music is is open arms.
I'm mm-hmm. fashion. I mean, you you put uh, your your topics were music, art, fashion, food. I'm I'm curious, like, where does the fashion and the food come in? <laughs> oh well, uh, I think it also starts with the roots for me. Um, I think those are two ways that I've always expressed myself uh, along the you know, along the same timeline as starting to play music and starting to read books. Um, my, both my grandmothers were seamstresses and in fact, they were designers. Uh, it's just that they weren't educated past middle school and, uh, they came to the United States, um, and worked their way up in, in New York working under, you know, white men and, and uh sewing but often designing and and both of them had um their entrepreneurs they had weekend and nights they had their own clients and so they worked several jobs in that way creating clothes and they throughout you know especially my early life and from my mom and the aunties in my generation in that generation and for a lot of us kids, they were creating beautiful clothes for us. And so it gave me a real appreciation for, I think, nurturing and art and where the two things meet. Oh, oh, I love that. That's lovely. It, it actually, I can put it on. Um, I had just worn it in the broadcast, so I had it right next to my chair. And uh, I want to put it on really carefully. So I love, I think that's where the, the passion for fashion as a mode of self-expression and like just playfulness came from. I would play in there. Um, I think I'm wearing the wrong arm, but you see the piece. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I saw and it, yeah. um, and uh, yes, I would play in their closets and I would play with their uh, pins and needles and you know, scarves, accessories. I still wear my grandmother's accessories. So it's very much like part of my legacy, I think. And food is the same thing. I mean, my favorite foods are Jamaican food, which is what I grew up eating, and pizza because I was born in New York and I love pizza. And I don't think, of course, like I love also sweets and chocolate and a lot of delicious things that I've found traveling around the world as a touring musician. My grandmother, I, it, it makes me reflective because I do feel like I, I keep on thinking of my own grandmother and how she yes. was very much, you know, always with red lipstick. You know, she, <laughs> I come from a poor family. So like she had like from age nine to 16, only one dress. So like she was literally, and she had to wash it and clean it and, and kind of this idea that your fashion wasn't only a statement, but it was proof of your dignity. And it wasn't yes. about simply what you wore, but how you wore it and assuring that even if you have that one dress, it was clean. And that and though it's stretching out, there's something about it that you kind of, the way you carry it. That's right. And I love that. And I think it's the same thing with food. I think, I mean, Puerto Rican food, I personally, I don't want to, I was raised in it and I think it's the most delicious food, but it's also like, we will put 30 pounds of sugar to make sure it tastes <laughs> good. You know, like right. there's also like, yeah. I think there's just this feeling of it has to be good at all costs. It has to That's be cool. good. Yeah. 
Yeah, con fuerza, yeah. as one would say. I, I do, I definitely am, am feeling all that you say, but I do have a question. Where's your favorite pizza place in New York? Mm, that's like such a controversial statement. Honestly, you know what, right? Isn't it? It you is. I like, people fight. Like, what I would love, and I'm saying the one that I miss the most right now is Bleecker Street Pizza. Street. Do you know why? Let me explain why. It is your generic New York slice. It, it's not even maybe necessarily real mozzarella. It's that like dollar type slice, but it's open all night and it's very close to um, the Blue Note mm-hmm. and the other jazz clubs where I would, where I do play. And so I have a lot of memories of eating a slice there by myself. And then walking over to the club by myself. And it's kind of like a solitary experience, but it's very much my life. And it's not something that ever, I mean, I have a whole life in the daytime. I'm a mom. And, uh, you know, I have a whole life in the daytime. But there's something that's ritualistic about me going there, uh, you know, carrying my microphone and my other stuff and like three tote bags and, you know, just being a New York woman all the stuff that I, that I bring with me and having something there, not, not eating with anyone per se. It just really, uh, it it represents everything I've overcome. It represents like me not being uh, intimidated by the environment I work in and mm, me missing like cooking dinner for my kids and not sitting down with them. But still getting to work and getting where I need to be. Uh, oftentimes I come home then after my gig and then I eat whatever leftovers they had yeah. the second, second dinner. And, and I think that it's not like, it's not the way that maybe I will always be living, but it means a lot to me because it tells the season of my life that I've been in. So I miss that little pizza spot. And then I like pretty much like a lot of people's pizzas. Um, I like John's. Like, if you want to talk just food, food, I like like a whole lot of pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like Motorino. I like uh, Two Boots. Like, I'm not that. I'm not like a. Uh, a pizza oh, and snob. I like yeah, I'm not a pizza snob. There's a spot by my house that I can't remember what it's called, actually, because I haven't been there in a while. But it's also good. Are you yeah. a pizza snob? I mean, pizza is pizza. I, <laughs> I will definitely have the dollar pizza. I do have my favorites. Like there's one spot in the Bronx that's like right by the expressway that it's run by these, uh, by these two Puerto Rican brothers. And it's the best sliced pizza. Oh, and, la la. and then, and it's like massive. I love when like I love, I love like when when Latino people do Italian food or like, yes. chi- like a black people do Chinese food. Like I love yes. when we because there is like this there's added kick. And yes. Like, Ooh, yes, this is nice. But I do love when you said Bleecker Street pizza. I was like Prince Street pizza, which is oh, I don't know about like, that. Oh, it's like super famous. And I, because I did a lot of concerts, um, like around Bowery, like in okay. terms of photography. Um, yes. It's like, it's really good. You know, those squared pizzas, 
which I've yes, never been yes. really a fan of, but definitely delicious. And like it became famous because all these celebrities went and it's like the best pepperoni pizza. Oh, I've, I've been there before. I have been there before. You have, there's not that many tables. No, there's no tables. It's like, it's always a yes. line and like you could stand. And- yes. I've yeah. Been there and that yeah. was delicious. And I overate. Mm-hmm. I made myself. Yeah. I ate like yeah. one piece too many. Uh-huh. And it's right across mm-hmm. that uh, that cupcake place that has yes, yes, really yes. good cheesecakes. Again, yes. it's like you go in for one thing, and it's like there's a hidden. I love yeah. that. Like it, it, you go in New York for is good such like cupcakes. It. Yeah, yeah. New York yes, is special yes. like that. We always have to. We can't just be what we say we are. We have to be. There's surprises to us. Well, that brings me (laughs) to my, my last um, topic, which is technically yours, which is travel. And I guess the question is, you know, ending the conversation, where do you want to go? What what is the dream spot? that you What a delicious question. No pun intended from the food talk, but (laughs) that's a great, that's a fab question. I want to go. Oh, there are places. Well, I want to go to Jamaica again. I want to go home. I'd like to see my my extended family that's there. Make sure they're um they're well. Some of them had COVID and uh, recuperated, and I want to see see my loved ones. Like so many of us, right? Uh, places I want to go. Oh, honey, I want to go to London and Paris, mm. which is where there's a lot a lot of places for me to play and friends there. Um, I'd like to go places I've never been. I want to go to, like I told you, Japan is so appealing to me. I'd love a Japanese tour. Australia's already pretty much open. Um, so that seems so appealing. Um, yeah, I'm very, very much looking forward to these coming days. Uh, you know, the news about the vaccine has been really um, encouraging to me. Uh, and I hope that that rollout, this rollout continues to make its way towards like our age group and, um, that we can live our lives outside again. Uh, one of the places I want to travel to is a damn studio. (laughs) I'd like to go in a studio. I have another album to record. But the one that I'm going to put out with these singles is um, fully mastered and it'll come out this year. So I know that 2021 will bring touring, well, at least 2022. Um, 2021 will bring music. Music.